If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're listening to Connecting the Dots with Matt Arendt on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. All right. Welcome to Connecting the Dots. I am Matt Arendt. I'll be your host for uh, this entire three-hour session where we will have three, like usual, panels. Um, The first one features a guest who, unfortunately, due to technical issues, will not be here to join us. Hopefully, he'll be here next week or the week after. Uh, So this is going to mean that for the first hour, instead of hearing me talking to a guest, you're going to hear me talking to you. And uh, then we're going to go off onto our second segment where we will have Matthew Crawford, an incredible analyst, somebody who's very interesting. I've I've recently uh, befriended and uh, I've been intrigued by some of what he has brought to the surface regarding um, a certain method of analysis of misinformation, um, which just simply has high value. So we're going to talk to Matthew about some of his work and his research. And uh, then we're going to talk to my wife, Cynthia Chung, in the third hour, who has just spearheaded the second episode of a new documentary series debunking the popular myths associated with the idea of the limits to growth, the idea that we're overpopulated, the idea that there's not enough food to go around, or that human beings can only do, well, essentially, that human beings are only destined to adapt to scarcity, that we cannot create, discover, translate new discoveries into new technologies. So these popular myths that are really rampant in our day and age uh, will be treated in these documentaries. And Cynthia is going to go through uh, her most recent work and uh, what is her thinking behind this? What research is she using uh, to generate her claims and her proofs? So that's going to be exciting. Uh, For now, uh, I think that one of the best ways to start this would be to have a little discussion about the geopolitical situation in the world. We are right now, after all, entering 2024 with a lot of danger. Uh, There's a lot of trigger points, a lot of catalyzers, which one could see very easily ripping through not just the world economy, but the fabric of what is holding society together. And it's really chewing gum at this point. Um, There's a lot of hotspots that could degenerate, devolve very quickly. Obviously, everyone has been looking very closely at what's, what's going on in the Gaza But the broader geopolitical ideology is something that I think people have become more acquainted with of the greater Israel worldview, which is uh, more than a geopolitical issue. It is very much tied to the same ideology that infused itself into the United States, especially during the early days of the of the Cold War with uh, a new movement that sort of became like almost like a virus that took over the host body of of a Republican Party um, that over time emerged overseen by people like Zbigniew Brzezinski, who made sure that these uh, fanatics who were often trained by people like Leo Strauss, and I hear I'm referring to Richard Pearl, Donald Rumsfeld, and the entire nest of what became known as neoconservatives, not conservatives, neoconservatives, began to really take over. And you had uh, a large weird section of end times cultists, people who started looking at their biblical scripture from the standpoint of prophecies about the end of the world being the most important thing, not loving thy neighbor, not uh, loving God and, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. uh, Not the, the social gospel of doing good, fighting empire, kicking the moneylenders out of the temple. These lessons became less and less valued of what Christ actually taught And instead, there was a higher emphasis placed upon uh, the end of the world, when God chooses to destroy the world, and different interpretations of rapture that will be spirited up, the the people who are really good are going to be spirited up, and those who are not are going to suffer, God knows, X amount of years on the earth, seven years, more more even, as uh, Satan runs rampant for a thousand years. Uh, after which point uh, the Messiah will return and uh, and usher in a kingdom. Anyway, there's a lot of variations. None of, none of this is really in the Bible. When you actually read the stories, there's a lot of interpretation and, and creative imagination that goes into it. But a lot of it also came in through British imperial um, players like John Nelson Darby, 
who is the head of the exclusive brethren of the Plymouth Brethren, um, a synthetic pseudo-Christian Gnostic cult set up in Britain in the 1830s, who proselytized along with some of his uh, his fellow British imperial brethren. His, his name, Nelson John Nelson, Darby came from his godfather, Lord Horatio Nelson of the Battle of Trafalgar, one of the highest level British military commanders and very high up in British intelligence. So the fact that this guy all of a sudden had his great awakening when he did in the 1830s, um, then generating the insight that uh, that the rapture was actually what was being spoken of in uh, Paul's letters to Thessalonians and decided to all of a sudden make it his aim to to proselytize, not so much in Britain, but rather in America, where he spent six tours culminating all the way through and even after the, the American Civil War, touring across the United States, setting up little subcults. Um, this was a big pain in the ass for Lincoln, who, had, who was trying to encourage people to, to save the Union by picking up a rifle and fighting. And instead, he had to deal with thousands of people who were followers of Darby, who cho- chose instead to sit on their barn roofs, saying, no, this is the signs of the end of the universe. And so we're, they, they were just waiting to be spirited up, teleported. And, uh, and the, the Union kept together a little bit longer. Um, the British were not happy about that. The British Empire, British High Command, City of London operations were very much behind supporting the growth of the Confederacy, the slave power that did not believe that all men are created equal or made in the image of a, of a god. That was not, not in any way something favored by the British hereditary class, the hereditary powers who believe that it's your, your bloodline that def- determines your right to rule just so they had a lot in common with the slave power of the South and a lot of these inbred families below and also in the North who were working to break up the Union um, using the cover of abolitionism, saying, no, let the slaves have their slavery. We don't like slavery, so we want to cancel the Constitution and set up a new pro-British confederation of the North that would maybe be more unified with Canada, British assets in Canada. So they were both in, in agreement, people like the transcendentalists under people like Walter Emerson, were in agreement very much so with their pro-slave counterparts like Albert Pike, who represented the young America under Palmerston and Mazzini. But Albert Pike represented the young America of the South, as did uh, Colonel Saunders, who ran uh, Confederacy operations both in Canada, where there were terrorist actions taken up against Lincoln from the North, led by this Confederate uh, hotbed of espionage and intrigue, and uh, as well as in England itself, where where George Saunders under uh, Franklin Pierce, the president, the, the Freemasonic president of the 1850s, ensured that uh, the Confederates were uh, were very grew very well. And he had uh, dinner parties with Giuseppe Mazzini, the international leader, not just of major uh, Freemasonry as far as uh, the the Propaganda Uno Lodge. People might know of the Propaganda Duo P2 Lodge from maybe having watched The Godfather Part Three. It's a real thing. Uh, but the P1 Lodge was actually what founded the P2. And the P1, the Propaganda Uno, was the Mazzini Lodge that oversaw the young Europe movements, the young Albanians, young Germans, young what became the young Turks, the young Ottomans, um, the young French, that were all revolutionary organizations designed to capture the the poor, the disenfranchised, the young, the alienated, who who didn't believe in a future and just simply wanted change now and would weaponize the mobs like we've seen done under Black Lives Matter more recently or Antifa, same model or the color revolutionary movements of the modern age. This was not a new thing. This was already being done then as as the skill was being honed to use the mob against as a battering ram against nation states. Nation states that are rivals always to the British Empire because the British never had a problem with one of these things because they were the ones organizing it with Giuseppe Mazzini who worked closely with Palmerston. So in the, in America, I'm saying all of this just to get across that in America, you had two branches, a northern branch of the young America under a fellow named Emerson, who was a, a student in what he called the lieutenant of uh, Carlisle. Carlisle worked closely with John Nelson Darby. He was actually one of the 12 core apostles of the new apostolic church out of which Darby ended up emerging. Um, this is again, 1830s synthetic cult, Gnostic pseudo-Christian cult creation. And um, and again, focused only on end times cultism. 
So Carlisle set up this whole thing saying, no, the, the only point of being a Christian is to focus on your personal, your personal spirit and nothing else. No, no sense of moral obligation to the future, to the past, to the world, nothing. So uh, Emerson became his student, set up the Young American Northern Branch. A lot of Northern Scottish Rite Freemasonic lodges were very useful in, groom, in cultivating this, saying, let's break up the union. Um, and let the South go free and have their own slavery while this, and we'll have our own pro-British Confederacy and the South would have their own pro-British Confederacy. And Albert Pike was part of the George Saunders pro, you know, Southern branch of young, young America, writing letters to, uh, Mazzini, setting up and rebranding the, uh, the Scottish right at a time when all of the other competing lodges in America, right? Keep in mind. Without the lodge system of developing communication channels, both within America, but also abroad from American patriots to patriots across Europe and Russia, in India, in Morocco, which all worked together to make sure that the British Empire were, was defeated in 1776 during the American Revolution. Without the lodge system, none of that communication was able to happen. They didn't have email. They didn't have cell phones, telephones, nothing. So the degree of secrecy was very important. But not all lodges were created equal. Some were used by very good people. Others were used by very evil Satanists. But after the uh, the 18, by the time the 1850s were rolling around, all of the, the positive lodges who were opponents of the oligarchical Satanic lodges of the, the Scottish Rite were all destroyed in what was known as the, uh, the anti-Masonic movements, which does seem to be a bit of a Mormon operation as well, which is a weird thing. But there was the the story of a uh, of a certain Mason who or somebody somebody who told the world he was a Mason. Though there there was never evidence, and said he was going to write a book about the secret initiation process. He ends up his he disappears. We're all told he dies, and this is the uh, the catalyzer, sort of the George Floyd moment, to drive in the eighteen late eighteen twenties or eighteen thirties the anti Masonic movement, out of which it becomes illegal. You can't. All lodges are shut down. Henry Clay, all of the good guys who, are, who happen to be Masons, they all of a sudden, they're all shut down. And out of it, the only one lodge that comes out intact is the Scottish Rite, which becomes the dominant lodge for the next 170, 180 years, leading into the creation of the uh, this takeover of America, especially over the dead bodies of Lincoln, McKinley, Garfield earlier, but also Warren Harding which and Franklin Roosevelt and soon John F. Kennedy and emerges onto the scene as this nasty neoconservative apparatus with a giant evangelical movement supporting it that believes that the only point of being a, a Christian is to get into heaven uh, where you'll have infinite pleasure forever and avoid um, avoid hellfire, but not do it by in any way that involves stopping empire or like I said, kicking the money changers out of the temple or helping the world actually live in dignity as people like John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., Lincoln, and, and so many others had dreamed of and had fought for and had died for, but rather no. Get ready for rapture time. So we're now in that place. Uh, this does have a uh, Zionist variation. This couldn't, uh, what we're seeing right now blow up in the Middle East couldn't happen were, were it not for the collusion of Christian Zionism and this other thing that had been also uh, groomed and built up in the uh, Middle East. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, and we're going to talk about the BRICS, some developments about intercivilizational dynamics that are also coming onto the scene in a more helpful, positive light, uh, representing a slightly brighter future. But it's not guaranteed, and we're going to, again, talk about that when we come back from a small commercial break on TNTradio.live. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, 
I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy. But millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're back for the second segment of our first hour of Connecting the Dots. I'm Matt Errett. I'm your host. And uh, we were just talking before the commercial break about the origins of a virulent synthetic cult that was created by British intelligence in Britain in the 1820s, 1830s, that would focus entirely on end times and preparing for end times. And if you were really in a position of power, of influence, maybe even helping that end times process along might be the way that you worship your concept of what the creator God wants you to do as an instrument of creation. Since, and here's the the lameness and danger I hope people could see of this line of thinking. Um, if you're an inner initiate, you might think, and a fool, you might believe that, oh, if I am now, maybe I've been put through skull and bones, maybe I found myself groomed and, and positioned into a place where I can make things happen in the military, in a political, in, in the political class, and you believe in this variation of what you might think of as, as called Christianity, but I got to say it probably is something a little bit more sulfur smelling or, uh, or Zionism. Let's say you're a follower of Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, the first uh, head Ashkenaz ra rabbi of British Mandate Palestine and Jerusalem, um, who worked closely with Jabotinsky, Vladimir Jabotinsky, who David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister, called Vladimir Hitler because he admired the fascists so, so very much and believed in racial superiority to such a virulent extent as he did that he wanted basically the entirety of Israel purged of any Arabs living there who he believed were untermenschen. Um, and those who were permitted to live there would simply be the servant secondary class under their uh, their overlords, more genetically pure overlords. Um, you let's say you're a follower of one of these people and you consider yourself religious of Darby in the, in the case of the, uh, the Christian Zionist movement, uh, that gave rise to the show Schofield Bible that gave rise to, uh, geez, the entire Dallas theological seminary that gave rise to vision TV, people like Benny Hinn. Um, you know, if you hear any of these fire and brimstone, Football stadium filled evangelicals, uh, pastors ramping and raging with red faces, talking about rapture and uh, and also calling for bombing Iran, which is also usually part of the same narrative, since that is apparently what we assume, you know, um, 
Gog is at the Battle of Megiddo is apparently either Iran or Russia or China now, but it's usually one of these three geopolitically convenient rivals of the British Empire. That's what it was back in the in the Civil War. Darby said, "Okay, Gog is actually uh, the Antichrist. The new Babylon is actually Russia in the 1860s, which behind the United States was Britain's second most important rival, um, which is also what played a role with Lincoln under Tsar Alexander II in saving America from the British-run Confederacy operation that nearly did destroy the Union in Civil War, which is another game plan that they're trying yet again, by the way, for those who haven't been paying attention. So if you find yourself, back to my point, in a position of political or military authority, believing this sort of thing, you might think that maybe it is my my job to be an instrument of God's will to help make the end times that I believe is God's will uh, happen faster. And that way the Messiah will come or the Meshi will come as uh, Rabbi Cook had prophesied that at the end times, the new world order will emerge at the end of Western civilization in global conflagration. As he writes in his Orot, this very influential book that went on to inspire many of the yeshivas uh, in the 1850s, 1960s that created almost all of the illegal settler movements, right? Every time that there was an agreement reached uh, to respect some territorial boundaries between the Palestinians uh, whose territory was always diminishing more and more after after the British orchestrated the creation of Israel um, in uh, 1947, 48. Part of that UN policy was also the acknowledgement that there would be the creation of a state of Palestine. Only half of that U.N. resolution was abided by. And every time that territory got smaller, but there was agreement reached to respect finally limits, there would always be thousands who would break those rules. These were the illegal settler movements and the leaders of it all emerged out of these yeshivas like the uh, I'm forgetting the name of it all of a sudden. But there's there's several core yeshivas that produced the people who were all followers of Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook. And they took power after the seven the seven day war, largely an inside job for those who might also not know. You could look into it, but uh, there was actually no proper intelligence indicating that either Egypt or any of the the other Arab nations were going to attack Israel. That was cooked up faked intelligence. Um, there were CIA whistleblowers at the time in the 1960s who uh, wrote books about this. Uh, how there was uh, a secondary branch, what we later came, I think, to be uh, to to notice had a name under Team B of the uh, the Paul Nitze, uh, Paul Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Rumsfeld, Cheney, Brzezinski operation in the seventies that took over and purged the CIA of its dwindling ar- amount of of patriots um, and created a new intelligence estimate tied to the idea that uh, there would be no possible way to achieve entente or uh, any type of cooperation with uh, our commie enemies on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Forget about it. And any any American patriot who believed that that were possible were purged. And uh, they were working very closely with a lot of these fanatics in the Middle East. They were also working closely with with what became... Um, or what was then also known as the Muslim Brotherhood, a grouping that had been created out of British intelligence as well, of hyper um, radicalizing fanatical Islamists who occupied and created the basis of the deep state inside of Egypt. But eventually in every Arab nation that has a deep state, that deep state is typically Muslim Brotherhood. This is what tried to kill Nasser Gamal Abdel Nasser, the president who nationalized the Suez Canal. Uh, this is the same guy who also illegalized, shut down the Muslim Brotherhood. They killed several prime ministers of, of Egypt, of many leaders of the, across the Arab world who didn't want to embrace their variation of Islamicism. Um, they were themselves, like I said, created out of a British Freemasonic operation that amplified this thing in 1951, the same time the CIA and, and British intelligence were helping put online Mossad. Uh, that, that same moment was when the Muslim Brotherhood was revamped, kind of in a similar way that Albert Pike revamped an already existent um, Scottish Rite Freemasonry in uh, the 1871 period. That's the same sort of thing that happened, sort of just as how Albert Pike's 
Southern Rite um, uh, of Freemasonry became the basis of what then was known as the the KKK that Albert Pike also helped put online that emerged out of the Knights of the Golden Circle, the first intelligence agency controlled domestic terrorist movement, um, carrying out lynch mobs, running basically a reign of terror to try to restore the grandeur of the Confederate slave power South, always under foreign direction as well. Obviously, this is what gave rise to the FBI. You know, J. Edgar Hoover was, after all, his religion was uh, Albert Pike's variation of Freemasonry. He was a 33rd degree Freemason after 40 years. They finally let him let this cross-dressing fool who oversaw the murder of presidents, actually eight presidents he was in power for. He was the the guy who ran the, the dictatorship known as the Cold War. In America itself was J. Edgar Hoover, who interfaced closely with the new F- both running the new FBI as an internal police operation, secret policing operation, and interfacing closely with the newly formed CIA, the, the international secret policing operation that was brought online by Alan Dulles, both of whom Dulles and Hoover worked closely together, not always friends, but they were always part of the same, the same deep state operation that oversaw the murder of Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy as well as, as John, um, Malcolm X, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., Fred Hampton, many others. And, uh, and you had parallel operations within the Arab world under the, under the Muslim Brotherhood. And this is still a problem today. This is what gave rise in the night in ni- 1980s, 1987 to the creation of Hamas as a sub branch of the Muslim Brotherhood groomed, overseen, promoted by things like Israeli and American and British intelligence the whole time. So the whole thing is, it's an operation to to undo and undermine any positive, constructive thinking of real um, human beings who are not perfect, as imperfect as real human beings are. We will tend to, if left to our own devices, problem solve and look for ways to avoid killing our children in stupidity caused by myopic, um, foolish decisions in the present over territorial disputes, disputes about who we believe uh, should rule a certain area or whatever, or some different name we call God. Human beings being mature humans with problems will tend to overcome these things, have dialogue, ensure things will hurt, will happen for our children. This is what we saw with what was known as labor Zionism in the 1950s, 1960s. With all of its problems, there was still an idea that we have to live as Jews with the Arabs, our Arab Friends, all of whom made in the image of God, we have to find a way to build infrastructure together, um, build water systems, water sanitation, energy. We'll have to find ways of doing this to work together. There wasn't this idea that, no, greater Israel is the mandate for uh, for God to give it as, as a special covenant to the special chosen people who are better than all others and who are mandated to control an area stretching all the way from the the Suez Canal, that is our property, all the way down to like a third of Saudi Arabia, all of Jordan, all of Syria, Iraq, uh, all of Palestine, obviously, that that's all ours. Basically, the same sort of territory that we saw under the control of Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> during the days of the Jews' captivity, captivity in Babylon, that same sort of territorial area is actually ours. And uh, if that means ushering in some end times work to make the Messiah come at the same time as we we rebuild Solomon's temple, which for some reason is also a, we're going to assume is a signal for the end times and the, and the bringing in of the Messiah. Well, so be it. And that that's the grouping that is insane. That took over, over the seven day war over the labor Zionists who all got purged or most of them were purged. They, there was a small comeback in the 1990s with Yitzhak Rabin and Arafat who found a way to get over a lot of the deep state operations working against their interests in both sides of the aisle to shake hands, agree to economic development that was supposed to bring and infuse vitality to the Oslo Accords, the two-state solution in the 1993 originally. The World Bank had an emergency meeting saying, no, we are not going to satisfy the requests of either Arafat or Yitzhak Rabin to allow for, I think it's it was a lot of money. It was like $200 million, if not more, that would go into a first tranche of investments into infrastructure that was needed to start healing the wounds of multi-generational uh, pain and revengeism on both sides. 
So you needed to develop infrastructure to change the rules of the game, change the contour, create new potentials for hope for a better future. That's the only way this thing works. There's no way you can have a peace treaty and have any kind of peace if you don't build things in the real world that'll increase qualities of life of your children. Um, so that's what they agreed upon. That's what the World Bank sabotaged in 1994, and they did it again in 1995. And then finally, it wasn't an Arab who assassinated Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister of Israel. It was a Rabbi Cook fanatic Zionist from one of these yeshivas who was deployed to carry out as a Lee Harvey Oswald or maybe a Saran Saran uh, Tavistockian type of brainwashed operation to kill Yitzhak Rabin. None other than Benjamin Netanyahu had already been championing and calling for uh, the murder of Yitzhak Rabin before he became prime minister. Um, but Yitz once Rabin was out, once he was dead, then the guy who was calling for his murder, burning effigies of, uh, of Rabin uh, publicly, became the prime minister. And with that came Richard Pearl and that whole grouping I was mentioning of neoconservative zombies who uh, had been just waiting in the wings to make their comeback. And that's what they did after George, during George Bush Sr.'s reign. And then especially during the time uh, that Bill Clinton was in, we had another variation of the same thing. But this is where Richard Pearl with the new think tank, the Project for New American Century, drafted the clean break doctrine of strategy for securing the realm for Benjamin Netanyahu that basically called for regime change with the help of the United States of Arab nations that were too nationalist, not inclined to cooperate with the greater Israel agenda, but that would always require um, an excuse for Israel with the backing of their, their U.S. Um, muscle to, uh, to have an excuse to go in and purge greater regions, whether it's in Lebanon, whether it's in uh, Palestine, or whether it's in Iraq, which was the first on the list of those nations to be regime changed. Um, you need an excuse, some th foreign threat to say, oh, we have to act in preemptive attack, preemptive retaliation against something that, that we imagine might happen to us, even if there's no information that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. We have to, we have to act like they do, even if we know that they don't, just like we did in the seven-day war when there was no evidence that we were going to be attacked by Egypt or Syria, but we did it anyway because, again, it's politically expedient and it fulfills prophecy a little bit more. Um, that's what was done. That's what became the basis of the organizing complex that gave rise to 9-11 and the anthrax attack and the age of regime change that really ushered in also an age of a surveillance state in America as well and a biosecurity apparatus out of the anthrax inside job as well that then justified a new massive budget under the BioShield Act of Dick Cheney and the emergence of these end times cultists who were really just cynical and people who just didn't believe that they had a future anyway and wanted a variation of Christianity that gave them a sense that, okay, maybe you can't pay your bills. Maybe you're, you don't have a, a good job. Maybe you're don't have much of a positive future to look for, but at least you have the end times. And so keep on watching more and, you know, rapture propaganda videos produced by uh, by these same creatures and keep on supporting and electing um, agents of this apparatus that are advancing a World War III New World Order doctrine that will then create massive chaos around the world and an excuse to reset civilization for those laughing who are on, on the inside of the big, ugly, evil joke. And now we're at a place where it's coming due. The punchline is here and uh, not everybody is laughing and not everybody is playing along with the joke anymore. And the script for the New World Order, interesting enough, is not going according to plan. And this has a lot to do with the BRICS Plus, which has just expanded from five nations into 10. And it is much more than people think. Um, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and we're going to juxtapose a lot of this ugliness with some of the developments around the BRICS Plus and the new intercivilizational multipolar alliance, which some say is another inside job, fake controlled opposition. I don't think so. And I'm going to tell you why. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife. With big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands. 
waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. You're listening to Connecting the Dots with Matt Arendt on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. All right, we're back for the third segment of our first hour. And um, we were just talking about a lot of the, um, or I was, I was, you were listening to me speaking about some of the darker dynamics shaping the bad, the 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 negative potentials that we face in the new year of 2024 uh, going forward. There's a lot of underdeveloped futures, future pathways, trajectories. I think it's very useful th- to think of the future as being defined in, in some way kind of like um, orbital pathways. But because they're also influenced, unlike planets, by f- the agency of free will and ideas and the uh, freedom to be to abide by incorrect, wrong, corrupt ideas, uh, to lie to oneself, right? We could tell ourselves uh, untruths about ourselves, about reality, but we could also be more truthful as well. We could also be, the, I think that that's the basis of of wisdom, right? There's this obscure esoteric word called wisdom, um, the art of of learning how to form better judgments, of, of pursuing um, truth, the art of honing the hunger for uh, pursuing truth, maybe not the capture of truth at all times, but the pursuit of it. Um, this is something which is also influencing those trajectories. This is something which means that we can all play a role to varying amplitudes in influencing said trajectory. If we could see that, if we could foresee that the consequence of fallacious ideas is bringing us into a plate, a place of dark age of, of tragedy And we could choose to not be tragic as we are all players on the stage of history. So I've gone through some examples of very tragic, tragic thinking that has resulted in a lot of damage over recent history. But then again, there's also those who didn't want to be tragic. And even though you could say that they in some cases um, risked their lives and in some cases did die. um, And I refer to already a, a string of presidents in America. But leaders abroad, Kwame Nkrumah, Sankara, uh, there's many leaders around the world, Enrico Mattei, um, who all said, I'm not going to be tragic. I'm going to live and abide by my conscience. Even if that means the, the death of my, my body, so be it. My, my, the health of my soul means more than the, the security of my body or fame or something else. And these are people who are very important to study their writings, to think how they were thinking, to try to channel and tap into a little bit of that universalism that they tapped into within ourselves as well to give us strength and to give us poison wisdom and self-reflection as we also navigate and i i think that today there are some people in the world who i'm very happy are acting like the adults in the room there's a lot of adult children in the in the transatlantic and outright corrupt uh technocratic fascists but you actually have some adults in the room bringing something very different to the discussion about the future and here, of course, I'm referring to what is what is known as the multipolar alliance, Russia, China, India, Iran, and what is was up until a few a week ago, five nations representing civilizational forces, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, with all of their problems, with all of their problems. There is actually an orientation towards not accepting the conditions of a death cult of the reduction of population levels down to less than a billion, which is, I think, the consensus in the transatlantic um, priesthood, the technocratic priesthood that uh, believes the computer models have all ascertained that one billion is all that should be permitted to live in this brave new world of rampant drug use to pacify the the plebes and forever wars to keep them too busy fighting each other than, than, you know, working together. 
and resisting the oligarchy together. So uh, you have those nations who have chosen to resist and say no to that or adapting to scarcity. And so the the up until a week ago, it was five. All of a sudden this week, as of this week, that five has risen to 10. But it's not just any old 10. You not only now have Ethiopia, the most strategically important country who has never, who has always successfully fought of all African nations. The only one that has successfully fought off colonialism is Ethiopia. They've never been colonized. They are now joining. They are the, also the um, the place where you have the gr- the largest hydroelectric dam project, the Grand Renaissance Dam, the most advanced um, rail project, electrified rail project from Addis Ababa, the ca- the capital of the African Union, all the way to um, Djibouti in the Red Sea. That involves a rail line that is planning to eventually connect across the entire continent of Africa to the west coast of Dakar, stretching across. 10 nations, many of whom have been through interesting coups over 2023, expelling colonialists and potentially creating a situation of independence and cooperation with control over their own resources for their own development for the first time. This also involves potentially extending that rail through Dakar, uh, through the, the Bab el-Mandeb Strait of 28-kilometer gap. There's a project that's been on the books for over 20 years that's being revived slowly as a peace process is beginning to happen between Saudi Arabia and Yemen into building up rail lines, roads, highways, and pipelines into Yemen, into Saudi Arabia that is already building as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The uh, high-speed rail networks that are built up all across Saudi Arabia are being built up as we speak right now that would then connect down into Yemen as part of a reindustrialization policy. That's actually happening. You'll never get this in any mainstream or even most alternative media that I'm encountering in the West doesn't talk about any of this stuff, but that's happening. Funded by national banking investments, state banking that is directing credit towards five to 20 year projects, in some cases longer, often with the stabilizing help of China, which has built something like 38,000 kilometers of high speed rail already that's planning on even doubling that within five years. That is increasing a bounty abundance, increasing carbon dioxide. And for that carbon dioxide that, that is being committed to uh, to go down, not that it is, but it's all because of China and other nations working with China, especially Russia and their commitment to transition to nuclear power, the most forbidden energy source that nobody is allowed to touch. That is what they're embracing robustly. Third, fourth generation thorium molten salt reactors that are already be- being built They already have working prototypes in the Gobi Desert. They're greening desert in India and in China. They've they've just found new techniques of mining uranium from ocean water in China that was just announced this week. That's becoming commercially viable because uranium has a special electro electronic signal based on the electron spin of the of the of the various isotopes on the periodic table. Uranium has its own signature electrical charge that somehow they've found a way to isolate and then collect only atoms with that electric charge being uranium that could then be used for their nuclear power facilities. Fusion power, also China's putting investments in. We're going to be looking at a lot of this stuff with Cynthia Chung in the third part of the, or actually maybe not, but we're going to be looking at a lot of this stuff soon. And, um, all that to say, so now we have Ethiopia joining, got Saudi Arabia who has joined. We have UAE who has joined. We have Iran, the arch rival of Saudi Arabia in the in the Arab world, who has also joined, right? Also, these nations, Egypt, key nation, key strategic choke points around the Suez Canal, the, the, the Red Sea, um, that are all joining the BRICS. So you you have unfortunately Argentina failed to pass the the intelligence test and under their new libertarian ideologue world economic forum committed green um cowboy uh malay have decided to uh skip out and uh instead stay loyal to the u.s dollar and the paris accords of of decarbonization so they're doing that for now maybe they'll get smart in the next year or so who knows but right now this is the orientation and it doesn't represent just simply sovereign nation states but it represents civilizational states that go back thousands of years in some cases, India and China, 5,000 year, 6,000 year civilizations that have a direct continuity that are unwilling to just cancel their traditional values on some sacrificial altar 
as some nations have been stupid enough to do in our Western part of the world that has chosen to say no and reject our civilizational values. So you have this happening there. You have Russia also on board with uh, this idea that we need to learn how to live and work together, that the UN Charter needs to be protected. We don't need a rules-based order. But if you look at the UN Charter, by the way, this is not, as some people say, the League of Nations 2.0. The League of Nations was an attempt at a one-world government. That's true. The League of Nations, the UN, if you look at the original charter, like the UN, the US Constitution, it it actually protects and enshrines sovereign nations, the, the sovereignty of nation states as sacred. And the it illegalizes the interventionism of one nation for any military act of aggression onto another. That's illegal. Um, so it's good to the degree that you abide by it, but if you don't, well, it's just writing on paper, and you could use the UN to justify any kind of one world government which is where just like the U.S. has a deep state operation that has taken over institutions of America to have it act as an empire of evil over the past several couple of centuries. Same thing for any entity, any organization, same thing for the U.N. It does give a, a, the reason why the oligarchy actually doesn't like a lot of the U.N. They've tried to corrupt it and take control or create entities that never should have existed like UNESCO or the IPCC, these these were never part of the original plan of the UN. The UN was supposed to be a deliberative body where you help co-organize economic development projects and avoid wars that, and manipulation into wars caused by British imperialists or any imperialist. It was never supposed to be a type of global one world government enforcement body. That's what the oligarchy wanted to convert it into. Things like the Lucifer Publishing, Lucius Trust run by the Theosophists that still to this very day manage an inner cult within the UN. That's a different story. That's what that's what it wants. But by simply saying we are going to abide by the idea that there are sovereign nation states that we have to respect, that we have to work with, that we have to then use the base of international law, that creates a different type of dialogue that doesn't allow for regime change abroad or the manipulation of nations using color revolutions or democracy movements like the CIA has been doing over the past decades under this modern young Europe movement known as color revolutions, helped out and funded by billionaire uh, Rothschild stooges like George Soros um, and his open society operations, whether in America or abroad, none of that, or the Muslim Brotherhood, no, none of that. You just simply focus on development, focus on respecting the right of autonomy of nations, and you focus on the need that all people have inalienable rights to not starve to death, to not go hungry, to to not have a fear that tomorrow you're going to wake up uh, at war with secret police uh, disappearing you. These are basic things that were enunciated in the Four Freedoms of Franklin Roosevelt, who probably was killed, actually, and I wrote a book about this, but Clash of the Two Americas, Volume 2. Um, probably poisoned, as as Stalin even said, uh, it was Churchill's people who who poisoned your father to the son of uh, of of Franklin Roosevelt, and this a book was written about it called As He Saw It. But Franklin Roosevelt enunciated this in his Good Neighbor Policy with South America, but also within his Four Freedoms, and that Four Freedoms concept was supposed to be at the basis of the entire UN Charter, which unfortunately two weeks before the San Francisco Convention that established the framework of the UN Charter, Roosevelt was dead. No autopsy and all of his enemies, the Rhodes Scholars, the Fabians in the, in the State Department that he was trying to keep at bay all took over immediately with Harry Truman, a fool who didn't even know that there was a nuclear a nuclear weapon being built. And he was happy, gloating, having a party when they were dropped on innocent civilians unnecessarily in Japan as a message to Russia and to any any other nation saying, no, it's a new game in town and it's an Anglo-American special relationship. It's the UK USA special relationship that Churchill announced, not even America, but Churchill came to America announcing this the same day, May 6th or March 6th, that uh, that the Five Eyes was created or what became the Five Eyes with the UK USA Signals Agreement. That was the same day that the Iron Curtain speech was also created. And all of the the instruments, the Bretton Woods instruments that were supposed to be created for the investments, the emission of credit into creating Tennessee Valley authorities to electrify Africa and, and help other nations develop industrial independence that had formerly been colonized for generations. These instruments were all, uh, and they were not used for that purpose. The enemies of humanity took over the IMF, the World Bank. Harry Dexter White was purged and ended up dying 
1948, along with many of Roosevelt's allies who were purged, died early deaths, mysterious deaths. Um, as the new FBI-run Freemasonic dictatorship in America was launched, overseen by British intelligence the whole time, and this disaster of the Cold War was created. An unnecessary Cold War of mutually assured destruction, mutually assured forever terror, possible nuclear annihilation at any moment. And, um, you know, this is what what is at the heart of a lot of our problems and a lot of unresolved trauma that people were fed after decades of propaganda by the John Birch Society of the Cold War period of a lot of the media that all convinced us that there's evil Chinese villains and boogeymen under your bed out to kill you and destroy your nation and destroy your, your Western civilization. It's all the commies who are the, the center of all evil. Ignore the British Empire. Ignore the old families that go back to Babylon that are centered in the European aristocracy. Ignore all of that. It's all about the, bad, the new bad guys of the commies who formerly worked with America and Canada and the West to stop the Hitler Nazi machine that itself had been funded by Wall Street and London. So ignore all of that and ignore the fact that the, the unreconstructed Nazis are now working for the CIA and, and British intelligence and are advising governments in the Middle East and South America. Ignore all of that. The new bad guys to be afraid of. And that unresolved trauma has been re reinvoked kind of like a spell. We've been hypnotically tranced over the Cold War and that's been reinvoked with the same sorts of messaging to convince us all that once again, China's the global bad guy, Russia's the bad guy, the, the BRICS is a giant evil operation, controlled opposition. And again, and people who tell me, oh, but it was Goldman Sachs who created the BRICS bull. I've read, I've read Jim O'Neill's uh, pro, uh, program in 2001 for the what they say is the creation of the BRICS. He just created a word BRICS. In his version, it was just to get Brazil, Russia, India, and China. No, not Brazil, Russia, India, and China and yeah, Brazil, to join the G7 under the control of the G7. That, that was the Jim O'Neill view to, to basically keep the G7 in the dominant alpha dog position, not to create another um, entity with new banking institutions or anything. So this is a very different thing. The proof is in the pudding. They're creating abundance. They're saving their ancient civilizational values. You can prove that and they're creating situations of peace through economic development and cooperation. That is what is being disrupted by this war in Ukraine, Gaza, and everywhere else. So with that, um, I think we have a lot to look out for for 2024, a lot of reason to be positive, and at the same time, be weary and also have a certain healthy trepidation. But this has been the first segment of Connecting the Dots. We're gonna come back with our next guest, Matthew Crawford, after these breaks. <laughs> 